I apologize in advance. This will not be a Dave Ramsey Bash Fest. There are some items on this list I vehemently disagree with, such as telling veterans not to use a VA loan or not to use an FHA loan. And number one of this list, I can't disagree with more. If you think really hard, I bet you can guess what it is. But these are 10 first-time home buying tips slash steps put together by Rachel Cruz of the Ramsey Network. And if you know anything about me is I can't tell anybody that they're wrong or I disagree without bringing actual facts or data to the table. So the items I disagree with, I'll present to you historical data and guidelines to say why I think I'm right and Miss Cruz may be wrong. I think whether you're like Ramsey, hate Ramsey, or indifferent, you'll get a lot of value out of this list. Let's get to it. Welcome back to House Rich, the first time home buy show where we help millennials figure out how in the world can I buy my first home? Today, we're breaking down the 13 steps to home ownership presented by Rachel Cruz of the Ramsey Network. Now, I gave you some time to think, could you guess what number one on the list was? That was the Jeffrey noise. Well, it is pay off all debt and build an emergency fund. So the second half, build an emergency fund. I don't think anybody on the planet can disagree or folks will disagree, but they don't know what they're talking about. If they're saying have no emergency fund to buy a home. So here's the thing. Even if you can qualify for programs like NACA or a VA loan or programs with low down payments to no down payment, and you may have like your closing costs covered as well, you still need money to buy a home. That is an indisputable fact when it comes to home ownership. Now let's tackle the first half, pay off all debt. That is the part that I couldn't disagree with more because like you can build wealth and pay off debt at the same time. Part of building wealth is home ownership. Like this sounds good on paper, the payoff all debt. And I'd agree with that if home prices did not increase during the time you were paying off debt. Like think about if you were sitting around in 2019, like, hey, I got about $20,000 in debt, whether it's student loans or car loans, credit cards or whatever. And that's pretty manageable. I can pay, you know, $200, $300 off a month. And then, you know, but uh, I'm going to wait to buy a home. And next thing you know, COVID hits and home prices go to the moon. And now, like, look where you are now. So let's actually look at the data, though, right? Back in January 2019, the median home price was $294,000. January 2020, $266,000. 21, $303,000. 2022, $354,000. And then December of 2022, the most recent data, $336,900. So even with the, the mini housing crash or whatever you want to call it between June and now, Think about that price from 2019. Once again, that was $249,400 compared to $336,900 only about four years later. So that's over $120,000 in equity you could potentially have missed out on by waiting another two or three years to pay down $20,000 in whatever type of debt you have. So to me, from a mathematical standpoint, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I got to give Miss Cruz her credit because right out of the gate, she says this, right? Okay, when you ask for first-time home buying tips, you probably didn't expect this one, but this is the most important one hand down, referring to becoming debt-free. There's another component of this I disagree with as well, and I think it's a misconception when it comes to home ownership. It says, owning a home is much more expensive than renting, even if your monthly house payment will be less than your current rent. When you're a homeowner, you're responsible for everything, all the maintenance and mishaps add up fast. 
here's the thing. Homeownership is more expensive than renting if you make it out to be. So one of my biggest tips, and I go in depth on this in other episodes, is to figure out what you can afford by taking like your rent payment. Let's say you're paying $2,000 a month for rent. So now you know that if that's a comfortable number for you, you need to find out a mortgage payment that is below $2,000. And you calculate that number by working backwards and finding out a home price. But you want to leave a delta between your mortgage payment and that $2,000 to factor in, you know, upkeep, maintenance, etc. So home ownership is more expensive than renting if you allow it to be. But as a reminder, if you're renting a place, your landlord knows all these numbers as well. So why in the world would they rent you a place for less than it costs them to maintain? So renting is more expensive on average. Number two, use the 25% rule to see how much house you can afford. Before house hunting, determine how much house you can afford. Your monthly housing costs, including principal, interest, property taxes, insurance, PMI, and HOA fees should be 25% or less of your monthly take-home pay. Now, that's something I can't disagree with. I think it's a little bit low, but you definitely should not be at like the 50% threshold of DTI that a lot of lenders allow you to go up to. Because think about this, lenders allow you to use your pre-tax income. So your debt to income ratio, which is your monthly finance debts, plus your future mortgage payment divided by your income before taxes is 50%. Your real life after taxes DTI is probably in the 70s or maybe 80% threshold. And this is a recipe for disaster when it comes to building wealth, paying off debt that you may still have when you bought a home, or really doing anything else of enjoyment with your life. Number three, save for a down payment. The best down payment is an all-cash offer. Nearly one in four buyers pay cash for their houses, but if that isn't reasonable for your first house, then aim for a 20% down payment. First and foremost, like I've seen that stat before. I think that was kind of wild that so many people pay cash for houses. It was a lot more than I expected. If you remember the episode where 101 home buyers were surveyed that purchased a home in 2020 and 2021, over 60% of them put down more than 20% for a down payment on a home they bought between 2020 and 2021. However, what I think often gets lost in this 20% down payment thing is, they're very rarely are they actually first time home buyers. And if they are first time home buyers, a lot of times they're getting the money from a friend or family member to help with that down payment. So don't feel like you're not winning or whatever if you're not, if you don't have the 20% down to put on a home. My recommendation is to never wait for a 20% in order to buy a home. Because once again, home prices are moving upward while you're saving for that down payment. You may be thinking, hey, I want to avoid PMI. PMI is not the devil. There's nothing to be scared of. For the most part, you're able to drop PMI within like three to five years recently, but let's say maybe five years to drop PMI. So PMI is typically between like half a percent to like 2% of the home value. And let's use 1%, kind of in the middle, right? So let's take about a $300,000 home. 1% PMI means you pay $3,000 in PMI over the course of the year. That comes out to like $250 a month. And what you got to think about is, okay, I'm paying, you know, 1% or an extra $3,000 a year on a $300,000 home. But would that same home be worth $300,000 a year from now? No, it's probably going to go up more than $3,000 in appreciation. Historically, home values increase between 1% and 4% every year. However, there was a point between 2020 and 2021 where home prices went up 43%. So once again, if you're sitting on the sideline waiting to get that 20% down to avoid PMI, 
You took a big L there. Number four, save for closing costs. Closing costs are typically around two to 7% of your home's purchase price. Here's an example. So I hate the advice of between two and 7% of your home's purchase price. I usually hear between like three and six, but let's talk about the numbers. So let's say you're looking at a $300,000 home. Well, 7% of that is $21,000. 2% of that is $6,000. That is a huge difference if you're trying to figure out which one to save. The answer is always talk to a lender in your area. They will know that exact number, probably down to like half a percent or maybe spot on. For instance, I say this every time I talk about this topic, in Dallas, it's three and a half percent. So like a lender that knows what they're doing will know that number. So you don't have to worry about if it's two or seven, get the exact number from a lender. Now, Miss Cruz also had this to say, that's a big chunk of change on top of your down payment, but I promise you can do it. Tackle these savings with intensity. You can even put retirement savings on hold for a short period of time to save for a home. So, hey, there you go from the uh, Ramsey crew. You can put retirement on hold to save for a home. I didn't think I'd hear that from those folks, but there you go. Number five is like one of those, what are you talking about items? So avoid the worst mortgages for first-time homebuyers. Many first-time homebuyer loans only make you put down a little amount of money, but they cost tens of thousands of dollars more in the long run. Don't fall for it. Remember, if it seems like a good deal for you now, then it's an even better deal for the lender. And then I can't disagree with that part of it, but here are the three first-time homebuyer loans she says you shouldn't do. First, adjustable rate mortgages. I recommend honestly never doing ARM first time, second time, third time, because ARMs always kind of seem to go up. So I agree with the part where she's like, hey, if it seems like a good deal now, it's probably better for a lender in the future. They figured out some sort of way to price these ARMs where they always win. So even now when rates are super high, ARM rates are pretty close to the fixed loan rates as well. So there's rarely going to be a scenario where you get like an ARM now and then you know, I can wait for it to adjust in like three to five years. And then all of a sudden my rate in five years is going to be like, you know, three or 4%. That's not a thing. They kind of like do the pricing so that you kind of never win with the arm. So FYI there. Now, here we go. The FHA loan, she says, don't do an FHA loan. So I think it's this of the perspective of somebody that doesn't really understand like the home financing process in depth. I mean, the FHA loan is a great loan program, especially if you have issues where you can't qualify for a conventional loan program. Or once again, if you're using, looking at like house hacking and reducing your live expense, that three and a half percent down payment is for a one, two, three, or four unit property. So you can get a income producing asset using the FHA loan for only three and a half percent down and lower your living expense and actually make your living expense negative because you're earning income on that property. Then last but not least, it says don't use a VA loan. Once again, the VA loan is only for veterans or spouses of veterans or Unfortunately, somebody that was a spouse of a deceased veteran, it, it, it makes no sense to tell veterans not to use a VA loan. She talks about the fees are high. One, the fees are actually the lowest fees of any loan program. Two, the rates are typically lower than other loan programs. And three, there's no PMI. The VA loan is probably one of the best loan programs out there. So I'm not sure where she's going with that one. Number six, know the best mortgages for first-time homebuyers. She says, I only recommend 15-year fixed-rate conventional mortgages. Here's why. Quicker payoff times with 15-year loans, the monthly payments are higher than 30-year loans, but 
you pay off your mortgage in literally half the time, right? Plus, most 15-year loans have a lower interest rates, saving you more money. So I can't disagree with that. I mean, that's just a fact. A 15-year mortgage will, you'll pay less interest versus a 30-year mortgage. But here are some things to consider. Statistically, you're probably only going to be in that first home for like five to eight years. So the fact that you pay it off quicker is neither here nor there if you end up like selling it in like five years anyways. Or let's say you're going to own the property long-term, like your plan is to say, move into the property, your first time home, build some wealth, and then rent out the property. Well, now you got a 15-year mortgage, which you can pay off quicker, but your principal and interest payment is a lot higher. So you're not able to cash flow like you would if that property was 30 years. So to me, you only want to go 15 years if it's your forever home. She also put together a chart breaking down the differences between a 15 and a 30-year loan. Let's say it's a $240,000. So one, obviously half the payments, half the time. At $240,000 at 15 years, assuming a 4.5% interest rate in both scenarios is $2,181 versus a 30-year, which is $1,562. So basically about $600 more cash flow on the 30-year. And then, but the total interest you pay on 15 years is about 90,000 versus a 30 year, which is $197,000 as well. Once again, those numbers are only important if you plan to live or own that home forever. But to me, like the cash flow is a little bit better, especially if you're paying a low interest rate compared to what you could do with that money if you invested it in another vehicle. And she did mention it, but just to be clear, because there's the same interest rate used in this example, your interest rate on a 15-year mortgage is going to be a lot less than it is on a 30-year mortgage. Number seven, pick a lender you're comfortable with. Some lenders only care about profits, while others actually care about helping you become a homeowner. Talk to at least three lenders, compare interest rates, fees, and customer service to find one for your finances and peace of mind. Can't argue with that. You definitely need to shop lenders. I will say that all lenders care about profits. Like, believe it or not, no matter how nice that lender is to you, all lenders care about profits. Your lender is a commission salesperson. It's all good, but they're out to make a buck like me or you. Like, you two would never be talking if there was not money involved in the transaction. And so make sure you're interviewing that lender. Some questions to ask your lender are, you know, what are your turn times? Very, very important. What loan programs do you specialize in? Because if you're looking at a special loan program like FHA or VA and your lender has no experience, there may be some trouble with that. You know, what are your hours? How to communicate with the lender are a couple questions that you can ask them in order to feel comfortable. Also, you probably don't know how to compare quotes unless you've listened to previous episodes. So make sure you have the lender's break down the cost comparison of each lender. And if the, all the cost comparisons don't match up, you know somebody's lying there, right? So then follow up and be like, hey, lender A, lender B says their fees are less, but you're saying your fees are less. Why is that? And then have them actually explain it to you so you can figure out who's lying. Number eight, get pre-approved for a loan before house hunting. It pays to get pre-approved for a loan, not just pre-qualified. Pre-approval is when your lender verifies your financial information and gives you a letter saying how much money you can borrow. Definitely. Here's the thing. If you're just like, hey, I want to talk to a lender and get like a pre-qualification letter or something like that. I don't want to get my uh, credit pulled. I don't want to take the time to give them my pay stubs and W-2s. You aren't ready to buy a home. Like that takes like five to 15 minutes, depending on if you know where to find your W-2 stuff from. Like if you don't have the time to do that, you are not serious about buying a home for one. And here's the thing. Even if you're a W-2 employee, you may make less money than you think from a lender's perspective. So let's say you make $70,000 a year, but $50,000 of that is a base salary. And the other 20 is like commission, overtime, car allowance, 
all these other extra items. Well, your lender can use that typically unless you have a two-year history. And also they're taking a two-year average. And if the numbers go up from year one to year two, it's an average. If they go down from year one to year two, they're using the lower number. And she also talks about the thing that some lenders will do, which they'll give you the max number that you can qualify for, which once again, may be more than you can afford. So make sure you're buying what you can afford and not necessarily what you can qualify for. I really like the fact that you put this step in front of talking to a realtor because you can buy a home without a realtor. You can't buy a home without the finances. You need to get your finances in order prior to talking to a real estate agent, which is step number nine, find a trustworthy real estate agent. So same thing you did with the lender, make sure you're interviewing multiple realtors. Just because it worked for your friend Chris, doesn't mean that this lender or this realtor is a great realtor for you. You need to make sure that they fit your needs. Let's say Chris makes a bunch of money and Chris is looking for a million dollar homes, but you're looking for homes that are $300,000. That lender or that realtor may not be the realtor for you. So you wanna ask realtors stuff like, hey, are you full-time or part-time? They're probably part-time, most realtors are part-time. If you're part-time, are you part of a team? You need to make sure they're, they're available for when you're available. What areas do you specialize in? Not that they'll drive to, but that they specialize in. There are a bunch of questions you should ask your realtors to make sure you are interviewing them. Number 10 of this list, I really, really like it's get clear on needs versus wants. I like it so much, I'm gonna steal this for future presentations of my own. So the tips are basically know what motivates you, be content, talk to people, be realistic, make a list. Here's the thing, you're going to need to sacrifice. Folks with million dollar budgets are probably upset that they can't afford a $1.5 million home. Folks with a $5 million budget are upset they can't afford $10 million home. It's like, oh no, I wanted a totally unobstructed view of the ocean. I can see the roof of my neighbor's house. This is horrible. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone has to sacrifice. So like when you're making that list, put together like three to five must-haves and because other things you're just going to have to give up on and kind of move on. No one has the perfect home, so you won't either. The goal is to turn that house into a home or home into a house or whatever the saying is based on your experiences in the property that you'll eventually come to love it. Or worst case scenario, at least get some equity out of the property, right? So once again, you know, be content. Don't compare yourself to other people's scenarios. Once again, folks are flashing for the grand or the TikTok. You never know what folks are really going through. They may be one of those folks that have like the 50% DTI and they're struggling on a month to month basis. And you just, you know, you did the 25% ramping thing and you have a smaller home, but you're living a lot better lifestyle because you properly budgeted your home. Make sure you talk to folks, you know, get their experiences. Make sure you figure out, you know, what motivates you, what your goals are. So that's very, very important is knowing what your goals are before you buy that home. Like, hey, is this your forever home? Is it just like a stepping stone home? You're going to be there for like three to five years and sell? Is the goal to be in that property for three to five years and then rent it out? Are you looking to house act? You need to know what your goals are because that will help inform your buying decision. Don't let your realtor or lender tell you what your goals are because no matter how good they are, they're going to tell you what works best for them or at least from their perspective. Now, steps 11 through 13 are 11, start looking for a house. Number 12, make a competitive offer on the home. And number 13, close the deal. I think it was a pretty good list outside of the tip of not telling a veteran to use the VA loan. If you know Miss Cruz, tag her, let her know. That's horrible advice. But I'm here in the Dallas area. If I can help you buy a home, let me know. My contact information is below. And I can help connect you with realtors in all 50 states as well. But as always, Buy land, rumor has it, and not make any more of it.